the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Vocal Booth To Go, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this very special edition of the VO Meter podcast. A couple of weeks ago, we decided to host a series of panels on inclusivity in voiceover. Since we made that decision, several things have taken place around the U.S. and the world that have made the topic even more important. So basically, what we decided to do as two middle-aged white dudes is allow the participants from the communities affected by recent events really take the stage and talk about the issues that are important to them. So we're going to get the heck out of the way and leave you with the fantastic content from the panel discussions. So right after a word from our sponsors, you'll hear a panel discussion on racial and ethnic inclusivity in voiceover, featuring Portia Scott, Nadim Khaled, Jean-Francois Donaldson, Natalie Nautis, and Natalia Rosmanati. Enjoy. Hey, Sean, what's a vocal booth? Uh, it's an acoustically treated space to record voiceover, sing, or practice music. Okay, so then what's a vocal booth to go? An acoustically treated space to eat a cheeseburger and fries? No, of course not. Vocal Booth To Go's patented acoustic blankets, noise mitigation products, and portable booths are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. They're often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. Oh, I have it now. Actually, I've always had it. I've used Vocal Booth To Go's products for years, and I can't recommend them enough. Vocal Booth To Go. We make your environment quieter for less. As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on, not unlike this one, and this guy starts talking, not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking, not unlike myself, and you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist, because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. 
Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Walgreens. Because it's flu season. You live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America. And so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter Podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. So a few weeks ago, Paul came to me with the idea to do a series of episodes on inclusivity in the voiceover industry. And with the recent protests and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, we felt that this discussion was more important and more relevant than ever. So we'd like to welcome our guests today from all facets of the VO industry to share their stories and struggles in this Race Inclusivity Roundtable. Yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. We're so honored to have you all here as part of this discussion. Now, as Sean said, I thought about this a couple of weeks ago, and the reason was a bit of an awakening on my part. As you guys can see, I'm basically a white guy, even though I do have some specific European heritage in my background. My grandmother, sorry, great-grandmother was from Spain, and my grandfather was from Italy, so technically I am Hispanic and Italian, as well as a few other things. But in actuality, I've never had any issues with racial discrimination or any sort of, or really even any sort of bias towards myself as a white American dude. But I am married to a woman who's half Filipino, and thus my kids are a quarter Filipino. So the three of them don't really look very Asian, so to speak. Um, If you're familiar with the actor Rob Schneider, they have about the same percentage of Filipino in them that he does. His mom's half Filipino, and his dad is is not. So his, his basic complexion is basically what my kids look like, especially the oldest one and the youngest one. So a couple of weeks ago, right before the pandemic started, or as it was really kicking into gear, I went to an NBA game in Washington to see the Washington Wizards. I think it was the last NBA game that they had before the NBA canceled the rest of its season. And as Natalie probably knows, the Washington Wizards arena is located in Chinatown. So we were walking down the street to the game with my eight-year-old son holding his hand, and some guy, either off his meds or on some other kind of drug, is ranting and raving about how he hates Chinese people and all Chinese people need to die because they're bringing COVID to America. Now, I'd heard from some other friends about increased racial discrimination towards Asian people of all cultures, not just Chinese. And the typical reaction that a lot of Americans have had over the course of the country's existence that all Asian people are Chinese people. 
So as this guy's yelling about how he wants to kill all Chinese people, I'm thinking that this could be bad for my son. It's dangerous. I was actually a little, a little scared about what this guy might do. Now, as I mentioned, this one son doesn't look very Filipino, but my middle son does. He's has really dark complexion and looks a lot more uh, Filipino than the rest of my kids. And I was thinking if he were with me instead of my younger son, I would have been really scared that something might have happened. And how basically for the near future and probably even longer, I'm going to have to deal with this with my kids, explain to them how to watch out for people that are discriminated against them and and be careful when they're out by themselves that they might experience some sort of violence, especially while the pandemic is still going on. So that sort of woke me to the issue of racial discrimination because it never occurred to me that that was still happening to people of Asian descent in America in, in this day and age, but apparently it does. So I wanted to bring it back to what I do for a living in VO and talk about how all racial inclusivity and diversity affects the VO world. So thanks again for being here. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. So if you could, let's go around the table, or round table, so to speak, and introduce ourselves. On my screen, it looks like Nadim is first. So Nadim, can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, I'm bilingual, so I do both English and Arabic voiceovers. Yeah, I'm uh, currently one of the territory controllers for Gravy for the Brain Arabia, uh, which we just launched at the beginning of this month. So yeah, great things ahead. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Nadim, for being with us. And then we'll move down to the second row, or row with Natalia. Okay, yes, I'm Natalia Rosminati. I'm from Argentina. Um, I record mostly for the uh, Hispanic market for my country, Latin America, and also the U.S. Hispanic. And I talk English with a Spanish brief. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And uh, Portia. Hi there. Yes, I'm Portia Scott. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and I'm the director of voiceover at Coast to Coast Talent Group in Los Angeles. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Surely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Natalie? Hey, I'm Natalie Nottis, and I'm an audiobook narrator, and I just do exclusively audiobooks full-time. Very cool. And last but certainly not least, Jean-Francois. I'm Jean-Francois Donaldson. I um, live in Orlando, Florida. Um, I do almost every genre of voiceover. Um, i been doing it for about 10 years now. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, once again, we're so happy you all are here. And let's jump right into it, shall we? So, let's go ahead and address the 500-pound uh, the elephant in the room, shall we? So, in the past, and still very much in the present, people will often say, oh, it's just using your voice. Why should it matter what race or ethnicity the actor is? Is that ever okay? Or is it okay now to think that way? Why might it be important to prioritize a person's background over just their sound? Well, I'm gonna jump in right at that because being one of maybe five black voiceover agents in Los Angeles, I don't know about the other states, but in Los Angeles, five, okay, maybe seven of us. And of that, maybe three of us, two of us, one of us specialize in animation. And so I'm gonna address this question with an animation hat first, because there are different answers. Um, and being black and being an agent, I often don't really submit my clients specifically on the ethnicity. Um, a lot of that is changing in some way, but I've been in this for like 23 years. And basically, if I get a character that has a breakdown, 
that if the if the history of the character isn't genetically i mean not genetic, you know specific to race in that they're not it's not a piece that they're talking about being of that particular race then i typically will submit uh my black clients hispanic and asian clients on a role that whether it's marked caucasian or not i will still submit them and I do that, A, because opportunity, there are not as many opportunities for actors of color. So I see that and I look at that and I'm going, well, why is that so specific? Because the, what that character is about isn't necessarily about their ethnicity. So I'm going to submit that. So if it specifically says Caucasian in commercial voiceover, I'm going to do probably 90% Caucasian and I'm going to throw in a few other black, Hispanic, Asian actors in there and let's see what happens. And just because there's just no reason not to, particularly in the, in the commercial world in that respect. And sidebar to that real quick, some of them say to me, well, do you submit, you know, non-people of color for black Asian, Hispanic roles. No, I do not. It doesn't work that way. Sorry, I didn't write the rules, but that is just, that's how it goes. Do you know what I mean? That's that society we've been living in that we're trying, I being a person of color, being marginalized in my life ever so recently as just weeks ago in buying a new car, story for another time you know it, it it just gives opportunity where there is an opportunity and i feel that responsibility in a way being a person of color to try to give as much opportunity as the majority get so sort of a long answer sorry no that's great and I, and I think a lot of people don't realize that it's not so much that you're taking opportunities away from the majority, but you're trying to balance the scales for the people who don't have that level of opportunity to begin with. Yeah, and it's a pressure, you know, it is a pressure, you know, and, and I don't really realize that until recently, that, oh, wow, so I'm really carrying that with me in my daily work, trying to make opportunity, trying to stretch out the, the, the scale so that it is balanced and equal. And, um, I'm super happy to do it, actually, but uh, um, nonetheless, yeah. Wonderful. Anybody else have a thought on that? I'd love to hear specifically from the Deem, if, if put, him, put him on the spot, about how, as part of Grave for the Brain in Arabia, you see that issue. Well, uh, it is a big issue. Like, of course, like we've been struggling for years, all countries, actually, not just a specific country on its own, to work uh, on, I like to call it equity rather than equality, to be fair and impartial, like, the thing is, it's a struggle. It's there in the market. It's happening where there's favor uh, in terms of race. Like people usually think race uh, when it comes to the production of things we do in voiceover. That happens all the time. And the thing is, that's how the market has been working for ages. And it's our role to change that. I think, like, I, I believe that what Portia just said was amazing because if every single agent every single voiceover started acting upon that belief that we need to disregard race like of course if you want to speak to a specific kind of people like for example you want to speak to the hispanic community you definitely get a hispanic voiceover to do it for the connection you know the emotional connection you know, like just that but 
if you're doing something that has nothing to do with that emotional connection, but you're rather speaking to a large majority of people around the world, I really don't think we should be thinking race at all. We should just be thinking, Humanistic. is the voiceover good enough? Is it, does he have the skill? Does he have what it takes to deliver quality? Like, that's just what I believe. Of course, yeah, you had a follow-up on that? I think that, I think you're absolutely right. And I think we're just looking to make a humanistic connection. And, you know, a connection that how happy we all were to get, maybe get our hair done yesterday or whatever it is, you know, on, on a human level of, of those kinds of connections, if you're that. And then if indeed you are speaking specifically, you know, if someone's going to speak about a particular uh, understanding culturally with, with regarding black people. Uh, yeah, I want to see a black person talk about that. I want to see if these companies are going to build out diversity programs and send them out to teach people. I'm sorry, but that needs to be that needs to be spearheaded by black people. I, you know, I don't really want to see people culturally talk, tell me about my culture that are not necessarily from my culture. Um, so, you know, I, th and that's okay. I think we can have these distinctions and supports for other cultures and under, and learning from other cultures that only just sort of collectively makes us better as humans, I believe. I was just oh. going to chime in from an audiobook perspective about oh, why, ask you to chime in. <laughs> about why race can matter, um, for audiobooks is that a lot of the stories that we're telling are so personal and, nuanced that over the course of you know the 10 hours that you're listening to this story it, it makes a difference if the person reading it has a connection to the text and there's a lot of things that uh, can't necessarily be taught like you know if it's a story about i'm taiwanese american and if it's a story about a chinese american family there's little things like how your grandparents would say your name as opposed to how your parents would say it as opposed to how your friends would say your name things like that and then when I come across like a loud Chinese grandmother, I'm not doing a caricature. I'm doing a real person in my experience. So it's, it, has, it has a deeper connection. And thankfully in audiobooks, they do try to cast at least Asian. It's not always perfect. And if I know someone who's better, I try to refer it out. But honestly, there needs to be a lot more diversity in audiobooks because I do a lot of books for... Japanese Americans and Vietnamese and um, simply because there aren't very many. The, the diversity in audiobooks is very narrow. There's not very many people who aren't white. I'm often the least white person <laughs> in a room at audiobook conventions. So work to do there. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that specific topic before we move on? Uh, real do you mind? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just real quick. I, I, I will say... Uh, I won't say the buyer, but one of my very big animation buyers has already made a, a correct that I've seen. And I don't know if you call it a correct, but a shift maybe, because not that it was wrong, but a more specific shift is in, in a breakdown. Typically, unfortunately, I find for Asian American actors that it just says Asian. Mm -hmm. And we have to sort of, as agents, round up all of our Asian talent. And, and sometimes I'm thinking, and then I look at it, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's maybe a Chinese name, or maybe it's uh, even Southeast Asian, say. And so we have to sort of round, you know, bring in all of our talent for that. And culturally, they're very different, as we were just learning. Um, but I will say this buyer specifically wrote 
in the breakdown, it didn't just say Asian, it was really specific, it was Japanese and what they wanted. They were specifically looking for Japanese American actors. However, other, other Asian, you know, cultures are, they didn't say cultures, but other Asians are welcome to also audition for it, something of that nature. And I've never seen that detail. And it's just a nod. I think it's just a respect. It's a nod to culture to understand that we're not lumping all of this, you know, the Asian diaspora all into one, you know, category. We recognize, we see you. We, we, this is what we want. We want Japanese, but if we can't get that, we also are open to other Asian American actors. So I had never, ever seen this huge company. And, and I just was like, okay, systematic change that's it systemic change it's 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 we're in the precipice of it let's keep going i just wanted to follow up quickly on like just on a small note like it really also has to do with the content and the kind the genre of the project you're doing it really has to do with that because like uh, i'm just going to give an extreme example because i'm i'm an arab so i don't even need to say the the stereotype that that goes out but if you're looking for an Arab to play a terrorist role, that doesn't really work, you know? Like that's, no, no, bad boy, don't do that. Like in my opinion, like that, that doesn't work. Like if, if you get to know Arab people more, we're, we have a lot of sense of humor, so it doesn't matter that much to us. We don't get that offended, but still, you shouldn't be associating that through the content itself. But rather, if you're thinking terrorist, like you need to play that in the content or whatever, you should be thinking, on what would actually serve the message or serve the content itself to be delivered to the listener. Like you shouldn't associate these kinds of stereotypes. I, I know it's kind of sensitive that area, but I just wanted to clarify that, yes, we can be inclusive, but not all the time. Like, like, you know, like, you know, like you, sometimes you just need to, okay, uh, I need that person of that kind of race to play that kind of role without associating any stereotypes to it because that's how we build the future through young listeners even specifically because they listen to these things and their backgrounds get shaped all around that that idea so that's what i just wanted to say let, let me let me I jump to this question it'll fit perfectly and natalia i'd love to hear your your view on this too so it's not our next question but nadim just teed it up so i'm going to go to it what other roles do you as a person of color get pigeonholed into or stereotyped into that you'd rather not play and do you feel in voice acting there's more freedom to be roles that you would never be cast for on camera and i tell you why don't you start um yes um for example for the latino uh, actors for voiceovers and um, there is a very um, uh, stereotyped uh, character you know um for example in in my case uh, i record as i told you for all Latin America and my country, uh, and I record everything, promos for Nagio, National Geographic and everything. But if I record to the U.S. Hispanic uh, with strong accent, the, the characters are always the same, like um, a, a girl who lives in poverty and needs um, help, a financial, financial help for the, from the government and health insurance, and she's alone or something. It's, it's always mostly of the cases like this. And, and there are so many people. We know that the history of the Latinos going to the U.S. It was difficult and it was 
a life uh, of, of hard work and everything, but not a, all a historics of the Mexicans, for example, are all the same, and we are all in, in the same bag, and it's not, not like this. Uh, for example, in Argentina, we have many um, races, and it's okay to be like this. Uh, we are all, um, uh, our families have their heritage of Italian and uh, from Spain, from France, um, Germany and everything. And so we are all different here in Argentina and it's okay to be like this. Um, and we can perform any character. Um, it's a very different reality. But when I go, to, for example, if I have to work for the U.S. Hispanic, I always talk to a little segment. Okay. Who else has experience with being stereotyped? So I've, um, I was a stuntman for eight years where I've played plenty of thugs and henchmen for, you know, bosses and, and, and such. Um, but as in speaking roles, I think almost every black actor nowadays comes to a conclusion when they become they decide to become actors that they are going to um subconsciously or consciously not take certain roles like i'm i refuse for me refuse to play any of those kind of like drug dealer roles in that aspect because that's just not for one uh the kind of image i want to put out there for young people um but it's also it's just an image i just don't want for myself you can give me the doctor roles and the lawyer roles and the husband roles and the dad roles all day long. I will take those, but there's a certain roles I just won't take because, um, it's a, again, it's just that positive, uh, representation that needs to be, uh, for us changed in voiceover. Um, there are a lot of, um, a lot of roles that I, I, I won't take depending on the content. Um, and, um, I know some people, some writers, um, when they write roles, right, they write these, you know, ads and stuff like that for, you know, uh, uh, to direct towards, you know, certain groups like African-Americans, black people, they try too hard and becomes very caricature. There are, have been some instances where I was like, hey, I would love to do this, but um, it doesn't, it's not, it's not natural and it's not realistic the way you wrote it. And I, I apologize and I would love to help you make it more realistic for you so that we can, uh, you know, get the message that you're wanting out there. Um, but the way that it's written, it just it's for your company. I would hate for them to be seen in a certain light of how this is be, will be would be performed. Um, How's that feedback usually received? Um, usually it's welcomed. You know, because, again, it's not a drastic rewrite. It's just. We, we don't use that even even when when, they, when people are like oh well um talking black or using ebonics there's still a linguistic uh rules that apply to that like we don't just say random stuff that just comes out and like there's actual there's actually rules to to how uh that slang or or relaxed language is is spoken um and if you're not around that or if you're not or at least have somebody um, of that ethnicity in that as a writer or in the writer's room, or at least in a approval uh, position, um, you're not going to know 
and I don't understand why they don't have inclusion on that aspect. If like if I'm going to write something on on uh, women's women's experience on uh, you know how their body works and how they feel about uh, when they have menstruation and period cramps and and how why would I write that by myself or even at all? I mean, like, hey, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? And I don't understand why that is not the first thought process uh, when it comes to writing for non-white people. It's a good point. You know, real quick, just to chime in on the back of that, I think that that speaks more broadly to uh, the systemic racism and meaning that if we had more of us in those positions to write about us and or consequently those of other culture, then that would be, you know what I mean? We would know where the emphasis goes on this because it's originated out of this community that you want to advertise to. You want this community to buy your product and you need from the top down to, to follow, follow the curve and have more people of color in those positions who are deciding on, you know, hiring the copywriters um, that are the copywriters and, you know, at the ad agencies. So I think that that speaks more broadly to the overall, you know, systemic issue that we have. We've got people uh, that are, you know, of not color writing for people who are. I think that's, you know, speaks to that voice of it. Absolutely. And America has a long history of propagating stereotypes in the media because of that limited perspective and that limited exposure to people from those cultures. And it's this these familiar ideas or they're only comfortable in portraying these people in these negative stereotypes. And I agree that we really need to try and integrate more people into the writer's room, into the creative, um, more creative contributions from people in diverse backgrounds. Indeed. As far as audiobooks go, um, getting pigeonholed as an actor in audiobooks is definitely a problem for uh, narrators of color. And it's actually a decision that we have to make early on when we're picking which name we're going to narrate by. Do we want to keep uh, part of our name? Like for me, do I want to keep my Chinese middle name so that when people see that I'm doing a book that I have like more authority on the subject or do I not want producers to know that so that they consider me for books that don't have to do with my ethnicity? Um, so I try to like walk the line there. And I know because I get books from different publishers, that there are some publishers who send me a wonderful variety of books. Like, of course, if that book comes up with that biracial Chinese American girl, send it to me, but also that great sci-fi that has nothing to do with my ethnicity, but just needs a strong female voice. But there are producers who I only ever get from them a book about a Japanese girl. And I won't hear from them for like, you know, year and a half, two years, and then I'll get another book. And it's, it's a catch 22. Like I'm thankful for the work and I absolutely want to tell that story, but I have to try to remind them that I'm more than that and maybe send them a review once in a while of a book that I did that has nothing to do with my ethnicity to try to stay balanced. And um, I have, I have, biracial Asian American friends who are married and have a different last name. One of them has a Hispanic sounding last name and she gets work all the time with like his Latina leads, 
even though that's not her ethnicity at all. And it's, it's hard for producers to know. And I always try to volunteer my ethnicity sometimes in an email just to like give them a, my brief bio so that they know what's most appropriate for me. But there is this feeling that you have to help educate your producers mm-hmm. and also um, know that some of them aren't just aren't going to see you as more than, than your race. Even if, you know, my, I, I don't sound like I'm Asian necessarily. I can do all kinds of stuff. So it's, we have to like curate our own careers and in that way and just do our best to keep things balanced. I also wanted to uh, just add an aspect of um, when we talked about getting pigeonholed in the, uh, in the agent world, when I was first starting out from like, I started in 2000 and started professionally full-time, I mean, part-time doing it 2011. Um, from 2011 to 2017, I was making maybe top around $5,000 in voiceover. And um, I had signed with another agent and um, I had, it was the same agent as one of my friends and colleagues. And I was just talking to him, you know, just doing, you know, uh, catching up with him. And he's, he said, you know, I got a bunch of auditions. I'll talk to you later. I was like, yeah, I only got like one. And he's like, well, I got like seven. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you didn't get this, this, and this. And I was like, no. And he goes, you'd be perfect for this. And I was like, yes, I would. (laughs) So I ended up, I was like, I wanted you to do me a favor. And uh, I was like, just for the uh, last two months, I need you to just send me, uh, uh, just count out how many auditions you get from this agent. And um, for every seven auditions he got, I got one. And I was like, well, this is, this is some crap. All right. And I was like, so I went to the, I went to that agent and all my other agents. And I said, um, I need you to send me absolutely everything that you get from males. And I'll decide if I want to do it or not but I need you to send it to me because um, there are a lot of auditions I think I would be great for. Um, and just because they don't say African-American on it, you don't send them to me, but they say, you know, blue collar worker, gruff, you know, sound. I was like, I could do that all day long, you know? So f- that first year after, that first year uh, of, of actually getting more opportunities, I went from making $5,000 to $35,000 just in the year. And, um, you know, my age was like, oh man, you're killing it, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, yeah, because I actually have opportunity now to work. And it's like, you can't even, I understand that, um, especially with the, 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 the diversity aspect to it, uh, we are, everyone wants to make sure that, that if it says African-American, they're giving the African-Americans and yes, but if it doesn't say anything, that default register, uh, registered to it goes to, this is for white people. And it's not, unless it says Caucasian and, or, or white. And I was like, that's sure. Fine. Don't send it to me. I mean, I can do it, but don't send it to me. But if it doesn't have anything other than just characteristics to a voice, why am I not getting these opportunities? And if I'm not getting these other opportunities, other African-American voice actors aren't getting these opportunities. And I know hundreds of <laughs> black voice actors who are like, I can't, I can't make this full time. And I was like, you absolutely can. There's enough work out there for you. You're, you're just not getting the opportunities. 
Wonderful. Uh, or being given it. Absolutely. Uh, Nadim, did you have a comment you wanted to add? I just actually, I was almost going to say the same as uh, Jean-Francois. Uh, basically, it's this, it doesn't matter what race it is. It's the same story. It's what's happening over and over again. How many of you have heard the Arab guy speak like this because he's Arab and he has a background from Middle East and stuff? Like, you know, like they always say, okay, we need Middle Eastern guy. What happened to the Middle Eastern guy who speaks good English? What happened to the Middle Eastern guy who doesn't say the P as a B? Like, you know what I mean? So we shouldn't be pushed aside and pushed out of the game just because of race. Give me the opportunity and I'll show you. And that's what's happening at the moment with some people and they're realizing, oh, race has nothing to do with it. Mm. And I think, Portia, you touched on that before. Like, we're so focused on trying to focus on the racial experience, telling the racial stories that we're forgetting the human stories and, and the similarities that we all share, no matter where we come from. So true. So completely true. I mean, it's, it has to start from the top, the people who, you know, get, who develop content, who are able to sell their content, who then are able to go on and produce their content and to voice direct their content and so forth. When we get more diversity into that, the, you know, these things automatically come because of course we're gonna connect on a humanistic level because honestly, that's all we can do as humans, right? I mean, ultimately that's all we can do. So it's, you know, we can start to get these opportunities out to the collective you know, non-white mass, then the, then these, the diversity begins to open up and then we get, we really do get the best person for the job. I think it's very important that we are, we are all together in this, changing the, the minds of the leadership roles, for example, um, it's in our minds um, uh, and it's in our hands to change that vision. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast that is uh, really good uh, from Sarastra in Espanol. Uh, is hosted by Silvia Villagran. Um, she's a wonderful voiceover talent. Oh, I, I love her. Um, and there is a, a nonprofit organization for the Latino community. Um, it's a new one and it's called, um, I, I, I put it here, ah, La Colab. And all together they want to help all, all that kind, um, all artists, uh, Latino artists that want to uh, offer their services and they cannot do that because of the, the, the stereotypes, the stereotypes and everything. Um, and it's a good help. And I think it's, it's, in, uh, it's our responsibility too to, to get together and, and even more important to talk about it and to get others know that we are humans and, and we have um, the same uh, capa uh, capabilities of doing a lot of things, a lot of roles. And, and we have to show that uh, too. And, and that's why it's very important to, to have these uh, places for discussion. Well, kind of uh, leapfrogging off of that, um, it, it, I think this is very sort of a sister argument to stereotyping. How do accents fit into the, the ideas of inclusivity and racial diversity and casting? I mean, what we touched on a little bit, but like what sort of accents is it okay for an actor to portray if they're not from a specific background? And 
especially in say for Natalie, like an audiobook or animation work where you're asked to play many different characters. What is considered an authentic accent when it comes to race? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in on that. In the world of animation, which is mostly what I, what I do, truth of the matter is, is that accents, we don't really use them. They don't come up that often. You look at your last, you know, look at the last three um, Academy Award animated features. Not really any accents, maybe Toy Story 4, we got some Southern, right? We might, you know, we have that. So really accents by and large in animation aren't something that are always called upon. However, when they are called upon, there are certain buyers, big, huge buyers, if it's Pixar, Disney, Nickelodeon, I'll start with, I'll say something about Nickelodeon and I'll give them great credit. We work on a show called The Casa Grandes, which is, you know, maybe the second animated series for Latin Americans or a Latin audience, I should say, Hispanic, Latinx audience. And uh, which is crazy to think that, wow, there are two, Elena Vavilor and the Casa Grandes, crazy, but nonetheless, in their, in their, in their quest for casting, they only wanted, you know, for the character which we booked, Ronnie Ann, they only wanted a, uh, a Hispanic American talent to be submitted. It needed to be authentic. Ideally, they wanted Mexican-American talent. However, same thing. They opened up the talent pool, but their focus was, fortunately, uh, my client, uh, Isabella Alvarez, is Mexican-American. So, and that's like such a beautiful fit. Now, she does not have an accent. She's, you know, she's born here and she doesn't have an accent. Um, and in fact, she, you know, really wasn't as fluent in Spanish. However, the troop, you know, the team rallied around her. Her parents speak fluent uh, Spanish, so she got a little bit of that. So every now and again, they'll drop that into some of the episodes, her speaking a little Spanish that has a little bit of an accent to it. So by and large, if it is used, they do most, even video games, if it's a video game and they want Russian, they, they're going to want to get as close to the mother country as they can on the accent as truthful. So I find in animation, they really hold a, a, a respectful line and, and really try to get what is authentic and truthful. Uh, in commercial, we don't accents you know in the in the general market and you know which is just sort of you know broad stroke usa we don't really utilize accent i would say that those using accents they want it as authentic as possible but really by and large it's something that doesn't really come up a lot in the world of animation maybe more in video game than traditional animation I feel that's that's certainly something that's changed in the last decade or so because there was a lot more of those stereotypical performances that we talked about before in those earlier animations like like Hanna-Barbera and, and Warner oh, Brothers, yes. animations and stuff like that. Um, so that's it, actually a welcome change, I think. But uh, did anyone else want to comment on that? Well, just quickly, audiobooks. Um... I'm the only voice for the whole book most of the time. So if there's a black character, Latina, 
Korean, it's all me. So we do have to do the accents if the book says that there's an accent. So I try to do it with as, as much respect and authenticity, basing it off real people, not caricatures as I can. But something that's like a pet peeve of mine that I see white narrators doing is that like if there is a Chinese doctor, he's got a Chinese accent. And I'm always like, the race, unless it says that there's an accent, I stay with the with the general dialect of the whole book because and in, I was just watching a movie with my husband and um, there was a, a Korean American actor who was like my father's age who sounded like any other su- white suburb guy. And my husband said to me, he said, I'm just not used to seeing someone of that age on TV without an accent. And it's it's true. Like, usually that guy, every other movie he's been in, he's had to put on broken English when that's not, that's not his accent. So that's my personal pet peeve of that. Unless it says that there's an accent in the book, I don't do it. That's just my thing. Mr. Donaldson, you had a comment? Um, as for, like, accents in, uh, like, I do a lot of commercial work, um, and I do a lot of regional work. For me, it's more of the, just the feel of it. Um, I don't... I, I can do a, a, a caricature of that, uh, of that dialect or, or accent, whatever, but it's more like I might just throw in a, just a word or something like that. That might be just a, pr- a pronunciation of how they pronounce it. And this is not, and the rest of it is just my general dialect, I guess. And I also want to touch I guess, on the aspect of, uh, when people go, well, it's, it's, a uh, if I can't do a, black character and a black scent or as they call it um what uh what about other accents why can i do that was like well for one it's you are um if i were to live in russia let's say 10 years i would probably pick up some russian i might have picked up some of the uh um some of the dialect in that aspect to it i might even actually develop an accent of some sort to it if i live in spain or Mexico or anywhere else, um, I can learn those languages and I can learn those dialects, but you can't, um, as a white actor, be black. You can't act black. There is no acting black. You can act a characteristic. You could be, uh, happy and sad and, and surprised and all that aspects, but you can't be black. I can learn Spanish. I can learn Russian. I can learn German. I can develop those act, those accents while learning those languages, but I would still be black. So when people go, well, if I can't do a black character, then why can't, then why can, then why can you do an accent? Because I'm doing an accent. It's a language. It's linguistics. It's linguistics. It's not, it's not a right. I'm not changing races. I will be black doing a Russian accent. I'll be a black Russian. There you go. And it's fact that the people are like, well, the, the black Russian, there's no black Russians. Um, have to be <laughs> respect with all the, the ethnicities and accents. For example, um, it happens if I go to a bank, to a, an American bank, and said, para español, para uno, and we don't talk like this. So it's something, someone to emulate uh, our accent, and we don't talk like this, and and we don't feel represented but by that person. So some, in some cases, it can be offensive, too. So I think it's the, the main um, 
topic here is respect, respect the, 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 the accent and the ethnicity um, and to keep it um, more real and, and natural as possible. Yeah, we may be a bit worried these days about these things, but let me remind you that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, people weren't traveling around the world as much. We have now trilinguals, not only bilinguals, and newer future generations are going to be like Jean said, a, a black Russian who also has Asian roots and is from wherever on the planet. So what I'm saying is after a specific amount of time, no one knows, you're going to have people that have so many roots from so many different places that it's not going to matter anymore. Because if I tell you, okay, so I need a Hispanic man, it's like, okay, I'm Hispanic. And like, okay, I need an African-American. Okay. Oh yeah. My grand grandmother was African-American and so on. So by time that's going to be filtered automatically because of, you know, everybody traveling around the world. Wow. Once again, you have led to my next question. It's almost like you're reading my mind because I swear I did not send. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I love it. I have to do, I have to do zero work on the segues. It's perfect. <laughs> so I wanted to know based on the, the giant melting pot America is specifically and how Nadim said it will be like that before too long throughout the rest of the world. What qualifies a person to apply for a role under a certain ethnicity or race? Is there a specific level? For instance, I mentioned at the top, my grandmother's Spanish, my father's Italian. I'm also Irish and Dutch. W what would qualify me to apply for a role that had Hispanic as, as a casting spec? Culture. Um, do you identify with that culture at all? Like, I have um, my grandmother's Choctaw, uh, Native American. I don't identify too much as Native American because I don't know that culture. I was, really, I was not exposed to it, really. Um, but I am black. I have been living, been black my whole life, been living the culture and the aspect of it. But when people go, when people talk about Native American issues, I can't, even though I am part Native American, I really can't speak on those issues because I have not lived that experience. So even though you are Italian and Spanish, um, I'm pretty sure you have maybe some type of cultural uh, 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 hold on one of those issues. If not, um, you associate as white, a white American. So that is your culture with, you know, I, if you would say, hey, can you speak to me in Italian? I don't know if you could or not. I mean, I can sing in Italian. The answer is no, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I want somebody to speak to me in Italian and you're know, kind of like, well, I'm Italian, but I, I can't do that. I, have, I don't have a foothold in that culture. Um, but yeah, it's just more of a, it's, it's just culture for me. Well, I think, that, I think that is about, Paul, about um, being able to associate, you know, I, as an agent, you know, I'll ha I have clients who are mixed who have Hispanic Caucasian mix. So based on what they tell me about how they how they culturally connect, well, you know, oh, he, you know, I speak a little Spanish, he speaks a little Spanish, but we definitely honor our Spanish heritage, although, you know, three quarters, he's three quarters Caucasian or what have you. So depending on what, what they tell me about how they're, you know, involved in the culture, then I'm like, okay, well, great. Then I can submit him for Spanish content, you know, roles that come up and they say, you know, Spanish, you know, Hispanic American or, you know, Caucasian. I can submit 
I can submit this talent for, for both areas, which I love. I mean, you know, the more talent like that I have, the better, because that means that there's just more opportunity for everybody in, in, on the page there. So, so it just, I think it depends on really how the person is um, associating in, in the culture uh, of their mixed ethnicity. And that goes back to what Natalie said earlier, right? About how imbuing your cultural background is really what you're looking to do in these characters and not base it solely on some magical number of that someone puts on identifying you as a certain ethnicity. Yeah, and I don't know what I don't know what the clear answer is to that. I think it's something that everyone in industries are gonna have to figure out together because you end up with mixed babies like me who I'm not Asian enough for some books and I'm not white enough for some books. And it's like, but I have to belong somewhere, but I've never done a book where the character was my exact fun mix of ethnicities. Um, so I, if, unless I feel like I can't identify with the book and then I send it back and say, Hey, I have someone better for you. I make a reference if I can, but um, I don't know what the answer is. And I, I, th I think Natalie, the answer is people like yourself who have a story to tell and um, who generate a book and that can say, you know, I'm of mixed heritage and this book has elements around that. And it isn't, you know, and, and when that person makes the deal with their publisher and say, and I need to make sure that the talent that is cast is of mixed heritage or in this book, I have, uh, you know, different cultures in this book. And I need to make sure that when this book, you know, when we go on to the next steps and the talent is hired, I need to make sure that you're, you're, you're casting African Americans here. You're casting, you know, Hispanic Americans here, what have you. So it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to, you know, those of us who have stories to tell and we get our stories sold, then standing up and saying, well, this is what I need to have happen here. That's what, you know, our, even our, our A-list celebrities who've now got the power to say, you know what, I'm gonna give you a quick, quick story. Uh, I'm gonna give, it's a great credit to casting director, um, I don't know if he'll kill me if I say his name, but I'm gonna say it, Christian Kaplan, who needed to make a casting, I won't say the project, um, where the lead character in this animated film is black. And there's another character in this film that's related to him, and that could be any voice, but that casting director said, well, no, if the lead is black and this, per this is character, then we need to cast this, uh, you know, the secondary character as someone who is black. So it is people in the, in the position of power to, to, to start to open it up and say, well, wait a minute, why can't this be like this? Or those creating content, standing up and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm directing this film, I'm a black director, and I need to make sure that my crew heads, at least three of my crew heads are gonna be black or whatever, if it's, if it's, if it's a Hispanic American or what have you, they, they have to also bring in, bring up, teach, and open it up so that people understand that the playing field, the opportunities are, are starting to expand and, and, and culturally there's opportunity. So I think, you know, I think that is one way, one of probably many ways that we start to shift the awareness around that. And the fact that we can even have this conversation today 
in this way without, you know, people not yelling at each other, being upset and being angry because we won't get anywhere with that. But just having the real conversation of, yeah, that's what needs to happen. So, And on the flip side, for people receiving work that is sent to us, I think that um, we have a responsibility to send back work that we don't feel like is appropriate for us. I've absolutely turned down work that I see, you know, it's third person, but I see the cast of characters is primarily black. And I've done this with indie authors. I said, I'll take as long as I need to help you find the right narrator for this series. I'm not going to charge you anything, but this isn't the right series for me. And um, I absolutely do that if I know if there is like a lot of Thai in a book and I have to know a narrator who speaks Thai, you bet I'm going to tell the producer, you know what? I would love to, but my friend would be better. And the thing that that does is it, it helps a more diverse population of actors find that there is work so that they can stay in the industry so that they can keep getting that work. Because otherwise, if they're not getting work, they're going to work on a different job. And uh, we need everything that's right for them. They need to get it. So I, even though I'm not in a position of power, I have the power to say, no, please hire so-and-so. This is brilliant because it ties directly into our final question. And I kind of just want to open the floor to everyone. But what can white people and non-people of color do to show our support, both in the media industry and outside of it, for our black and brown brothers and sisters? Like, what can we do? And I don't like everyone doesn't have to have a concrete solution right now. (laughs) But uh, just some ideas or any other things that, that come to mind. Yeah, I think that, I think it's A, number one, awareness, right? Because that's where it all has to start. And then once once there's awareness and understanding, I think there, there are actionable things to do um, with within just your, your circle of friends. Look around in the room and just see how many people of color are around you. And, and then be aware, ask yourself, why is that? And then what can what you can do is where there's opportunities, where where there's an opportunity to make something sort of, uh, I'll be speak basically, you know, make a you know correct or help or assist or educate or you know be open to asking questions and be aware that I had this happen recently. I had a, a, a white friend of mine who I went to high school with, and and my high school was mostly white with a large black population so we were mixed you know in that respect um email me something and say you know is there a problem in saying my colored friend because i hear people say people of color can i say my colored friend and i said no you can't say that um the people of color is a way that we've taken it and we've owned it and wasn't imposed upon us by the pernicious south um so no you can't say that uh, but this is what you can do this is what you can say and she took a while to get back to me and she goes you know i had to really deal with being offended by what you said and then i said well you see you being offended is part of the the systemic racism that's built in the fact that you can come to me and ask me a question and i can tell you the truth and then you get hurt you have to understand why you you know you're hurt so i think it's just educating yourself and being exposed in the culture and around people and and you know donate Black Lives Matter, donate, you know, Southern law, Southern law, don't, you know, donate where you can, march where you can. I think that that would be 
the things that I would say that um, white Americans in this case can do to support uh, and help because really it's not going to change until it changes from that side of the street. If I can jump in, it's just awareness or, or let's say empathy built on awareness. Like sometimes empathy takes the wrong direction with some people because they want to be empathetic and they just have the wrong information at the back of their heads because they didn't feel the pain. They didn't feel the emotion of that specific culture. So it's kind of like an equation, just like awareness plus empathy or empathy built on awareness. And that's the answer you've got. People actually feeling the love and care towards each other in regards to emotion. And that way, they can respect each other more. Like there's no guarantee there won't be a moment where somebody's not is gonna not gonna get, get offended, you know? Like there will be moments where you're gonna get offended anyway. But it's a you know two-way lane. We also gotta release the tension. We gotta be like, okay, it's good for you to ask. Like I might I might have been a little bit offended, but the reason is this and this and this, and explain the reason behind that. That's how we can help the people in my opinion. I think also then that the word has power, right? So probably uh, stop saying that the white and the black and everything is all, we are all people, we are all, all humans, and that's the main thing. And we have feelings and we have families, and, and that's what, what really important, what really matters. For me, um, Portia said that it has to start from the top. And so when you do acknowledge the fact that there is a problem, to ask questions, and to accept the answers and say, okay, how can I help? And if we say, this is how you help, and you go, okay, let's do that. Let's try it, let's give it a go. Um, because so many people, and, and I, and especially this time, I have literally uh, 45 messages from random white people on Facebook asking me, um, you know, what can I do to help? Or, um, me getting in a conversation with a person about uh, about what's going on and um it, it's it's almost an aspect of um black people have always been teachers on how to teach uh white people not to be racist and i never understood that but i will gladly accept that role if you are willing to learn and um and i will never never uh turn my nose up at you because you know there's google and you can find out for yourself. Uh, we could talk it out. I have no problem with that. And I think that's the problem is that, uh, or ways to help is that um, going to talking to people and uh, the younger generation about these are opportunities. Because even growing up, the opportunities given to us um, are not very vast and diverse as well. So as agents and voice actors and casting directors, go into these schools and talking to these young children because um we're at a point where i went back back to missouri back home and uh i went to my elementary school and my high school and just talked to the kids about what i do and they're like and i had dozens of kids going you know i really wanted to do i i've always wanted to uh get into voice acting and it's cool as a um a black voice actor to see black kids go, I was wanting to do this when growing up, but now I want to do what you do. And I was like, you know, okay. I, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it's that nice feeling of like, I never had that growing up, 
you know, I never, it, it was like you play sports um, or in, in my town was really big on teachers. So I was going to be a teacher. And even that aspect, there weren't any, there's like two black teachers in the whole town of five high schools and 12, you know, elementary middle schools. And so even that aspect was like a, a big deal to me. Um, but, you know, when I became an actor and, and, and just realized that like growing up, I was the only black kid in my whole theater. Why? Because again, the other black kids were pushed to do sports. This is what you do. This is your pigeonhole. This is what this is your only outlet. And I think we need to, again, start these kids young to an aspect of learning what different things that they can do is, rather than, you know, being doctors and lawyers. And that's wonderful and great. And I'll never, I've never downed anybody for that because it's amazing work that people do. But there are writers and, and agents and accountants and just things that you can do that um that aren't flashy but um again getting so and and that also builds into you know they, they always say that there's no i couldn't find a black writer or i couldn't find a you know a black casting director i couldn't find a or whatever and it's like well if we develop them we would have them but you guys aren't developing these children. You're not developing people or not giving other people opportunities to do anything. So of course you're not going to find it if you're going to hinder other people from joining the boys club. Well, and I'll speak to that a little bit, you know, the socioeconomic divide really shows up here in that I do not have enough young black talent, male. I do not. I go to my list and trust me, there's castings and I go to my list and it's getting shorter and shorter. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, I, I've got to fix this. And, and I'm like, what's going on? Why? And, and, and in some cases, even Hispanic uh, uh, youth talent. And then I went, aha, it's, it's money. Because in a lot of households, you have two parents one maybe work, maybe one can have a side job. The, the kids have to have someone to go with them to these auditions. All of the youth auditions happen between 3.30, 5.30, 6.30. But if you have one parent who works, then you what, have to spend money to hire someone to take your, your child out to the auditions to be able to compete. Meanwhile, they're, they're, they're white contemporaries have that system built in where either one of the parents can do it or they can afford because both parents work and make a really good salary and they can afford a driver, someone to take them out to be a guardian for them. So, so once again, the socio socioeconomic divide really falls down in this area where I'm starting, you know, where I see that really are black, brown, kids are not able to have those opportunities because they don't have that home, you know, wealth, that generational wealth that helped these families, you know, it's decade after decade to help and support and pass on. You know, when I look at my friends uh, that are my age, 57, um, you know, that are my age and they're, you know, we're losing our parents. I've lost my mother. We're just at that age. And I look at the difference between my black friends and my white friends, you know, my white friends, their parents leave them 
real estate and 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 uh, you know financial gain and the black and my black friends not so much maybe it's this maybe it's that so once again this the the socioeconomic divide filters through everything we do whereas so now there are probably plenty of young young african-american boys who, who would be amazing in voiceover but haven't had the chance to maybe take the classes to compete you know i'm always offering classes to my clients take especially now in the world of zoom take this do that well if you don't have the money to do that you can't you're, you're, you can't compete as fairly as, as, as your white counterparts. So consequently, you know, the casting goes on and on sometimes just trying to find, you know, the talent to, to fulfill the jobs. They're being written, but um, there's, a, there's a deficit for sure. And I think that that's just goes back to economics and having the opportunities. I would just chime in that the, the two things that I would say that people can do is what I was saying before, turn down work that's not right for you. And I promise it'll come back to you. I get referred stuff all the time that's better for me than someone else. And I send it on to someone else. And it's karma, like it works. And then the other thing is, um, and I don't know how I can do this, but I want to challenge producers and people in authority to do like what Portia does and to think outside the box. Like, why is every new recording of the Bible a white man? Why is the voice of authority a baritone white man every time? Like, why can't we have, why can't we send, have a black actor reading a textbook, having reading an economics book? Because they tend not to think that way, producers. And when they think authority, they think white man, we're going to send it to this guy again. And I just, I wish we could get break out of that and have, um, we need to hear different voices telling us different things so that we can learn to respect and trust things that are coming from people who look and sound differently than we do. Well, everybody, this has been a fantastic talk. Nadim, Portia, Natalia, Jean-Francois, and Natalie, we really appreciate you coming here and talking about this important topic. Before we go, uh, if you'd like to, Please tell people where they can find you if they want to hire you or get in touch with you. I'll start with uh, Nadim, please. Well, uh, my uh, website is basically my name, which is Nadim Khalid. Should I spell that out? Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's N-A-D-E-E-M-K-H-A-L-E-D.com. Thank you for that. <laughs> Okay, I'll keep calling people out. Natalia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, my um, website is Natalia, my name, nataliarosminati.com. Jean-Francois? You can find me at thedeepvoiceguy.biz and possibly Porsche's agency. We're going to talk later. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth, like butter. And Natalie? Natalie Nottis, last name is N-A-U-D-U-S, natalienottis.com. And Portia, would you like to give out any contact information? No pressure. Sure, sure. It's uh, Portia Scott. Um, I'm at Coast to Coast Talent Group. It's Portia for the number four, coast at Gmail. Portia for coast at Gmail. And if you listen, if you email me your demo out there, please give me time. I, you know, we haven't gotten back in the office and I'm happy to say voiceover made the pivot. And since, since the shutdown, I have worked insanely every day. So it's, I'm grateful, but it's busy. Out of work. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. And this has just been so eye-opening and expanding for me and, and to our audience, just be aware 
be attentive, be respectful. And thank you all so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter.